The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com. This is Barron's Live. Each weekday, we bring you live conversations from our newsrooms about what's moving the market right now. On this podcast, we take you inside those conversations, the stories, the ideas, and the stocks to watch so you can invest smarter. Now, let's dial in. Hello, and welcome to Tech Trader on Barron's Live. I'm Eric Savitz, Associate Editor for Technology at Barron's. I am very excited to have with me today Erica Clower, uh, who is an equity portfolio manager and research analyst at Jenison. Uh, she uh, covers a lot of the tech stocks that I'm sure everyone who's listening will, will, uh, will care about. Um, it's, uh, it's been a while since we last talked. It was like last summer, uh, and what a difference um, uh, almost a year makes. Uh, we went from like, a, like the worst tech investing environment maybe ever uh, to a pretty great one. And certainly it's worked out well for your fund, which is up like around 39% year to date, I think. Um, so talk a little bit first, Erica, about what's changed. Uh, like, like, where are we now in this process? So we've gone from just the, the horror, as everyone knows, terrible returns on tech funds, uh, tech stocks, almost everything was down last year. Now, almost everything is up. Uh, but, and the bigger you are, the more you're up. Um, and so it's been great owning large cap tech stocks. What's happened um, in, uh, to start off between then and now? Well, first, Eric, thank you so much for having me back. I'm so excited to speak to you today and get caught up. And indeed, there's so much going on in technology right now. And so much has changed since last summer. I think the first thing that comes to mind is just the, that time has passed, that we've gone through a lot of the most difficult comparisons for technology companies as we were lapping very easy um, and very high growth rates from COVID when people were overbuying, frankly, for their homes and for their businesses. And so we've worked through a lot of those comparisons. We've also worked down inventories. And at the same time, we've also had some pretty interesting new technologies come onto the horizon, price points coming to more affordable uh, points of entry. And so that combined with valuations being fairly compelling relative to long-term growth rates has made for a very interesting backdrop for technology companies in general. Right. I add that the one thing I'd add there, I think, is that um, the Fed uh, was not the tech uh, tech investor's friend last year as, uh, as they ratcheted up rates. And I don't know when they're done, but they're closer to being done than they are starting, right? So you go back to the beginning of 2000, uh, 2022, we were, I don't know where we were on rates, under 1%. Um, so we've had mo- multiple ratchets up. And as, as of course, you know, um, higher, uh, hot rising rates are generally bad for technology stocks. That's right. So, you know, at Jenison, we tend to not be so macro focused and more bottoms up. But what I will say relative to your point about um, rates is that the other thing we started to see at the very end of 2022 were inflation signs for technology companies rolling over. The simple things like the cost of a container to ship an item from Asia to the U.S. was starting to come down. Um, and also input costs of basic materials ranging from basic metals to gases all started to roll over, easing cost uh, pressures for a lot of the technology companies. 
Right. And we've even seen uh, recently some companies talk about uh, earnings beats driven by lower component costs. Um, so we've gone from a world where you can't get parts to a world where there are too many parts. And uh, although, um, and, you know, so that's a kind of pendulum swing that is like from one problem to a different problem. Uh, but I think it's also true that, as you mentioned, um, inventory problems, and there have been inventory problems, not just in components, but in finished goods, right? There were too many PCs in the channel that caused problems. Uh, the, the, the poster child for too many uh, components in, in the channel is like Micron, where like everybody overordered memory. Micron's uh, had a quarter where they were down like, I don't know, 50% at the top line, which seems insane. Uh, uh, and, and yet all of those things are gradually washing out. So, so that's good. So let's talk about, uh, you made the point about there's some new technology around, <laughs> which is an allusion to what is, of course, like everyone's now favorite technology investing topic, which is uh, AI, generative AI. Um, you have, um, you've benefited in your portfolio from that trend. Talk a little bit about how you think about it um, and how you think about how to find uh, stocks that will benefit. So it's interesting because it is true that um, ChatGPT is a, is, a, is a new app you can use on your phone, and it's pretty cool to test it out and see what it can do for you. But as far as the underlying technology that is the underpinning of artificial intelligence, we've really been intrigued by this for many, many, many years now. And it's basically the shift from what's known as serial computing to parallel computing. Mm -hmm. And serial computing is basically just what it sounds like, basically looking up the definition of whatever instruction set it is that you are trying to execute, finding out the answer and, and, and spitting that out as your answer to whatever application it is you're working on. Mm -hmm. Parallel computing is something very different. It's very much akin to the way that humans learn languages. You and I did not learn how to speak from looking up words in a dictionary. We learned from repetition when our parents or our caregivers were saying, pick up that bottle. We would learn after a while. Yeah what the bottle was. So that um, parallel computing has really reached a crescendo as people have realized it's not only great for generating images quickly by inferring and this um, notion of inference images, but it's also great for recognizing patterns in consumer behaviors um, in order to make recommendation or models, which are much more sophisticated than they've ever been and accurate than they've ever been, to even underwriting risk by recognizing patterns in where risk occurs. Mm -hmm. So that use of parallel computing is becoming much broader based mm -hmm. and is enabling and differentiating um, many, many companies in the technology ecosystem. And so we at Jensen try to focus on the ones that are using the parallel computing to the best effect to disrupt their respective industries. Okay, so um, at last count, uh, this is a little bit dated information, uh, which uh, I will uh, point out right away, but NVIDIA was the largest single stock in your portfolio and good choice, right? This has been a fantastic year for NVIDIA stock and for, I think, rational reasons, right? So, um, you know, they, they make uh, these uh, GPUs that are um, are very, as everyone by, who's listening knows, uh, uh, that are used for um, uh, large language model creation and other parts of the AI uh, in, infosys, in, uh, uh, ecosystem. And it kind of raises the question about, first of all, um, 
congratulations. Second of all, um, is there any other player here? Like, do they really have this whole uh, uh, playing field to themselves? Because that's pretty unusual in technology for uh, for something like this. So, so let's back it up and, and um, okay. I would say there's certainly um, more companies than just NVIDIA to participate in this revolution, but NVIDIA is the best of breed. And I think we're still in very, very early innings for NVIDIA and I'll explain why. Okay. So with this idea of the, of the parallel computing, there's two things that have to happen with AI. The first is the training where you take a giant pile of information ranging from periodicals to the Wall Street journals to whatever you want to scrape for information and you train your model to do something with that information. And then the second is the inference portion of the business. Once you've trained your model that the company, that the, that the data set will be looking at whatever new data is being presented to it and be able to infer based on the training um, what the answer ought to be or present an answer in response to its training. So NVIDIA does both those things, both mm -hmm. trains and it also um, provides inference products. Mm -hmm. But the reason that they have such an incredible commanding lead over the competition is that it's not just the engine or the GPU that's um, really executing those instruction sets perfectly. Mm -hmm. They also have the surrounding software and they also have the networking architectures to present to customers. So, so much of the, um, of the instruction sets have been built on basically NVIDIA libraries. It's extremely difficult to displace them. So NVIDIA really has an extraordinary position in that industry. And also we'll talk about it later too, but in that core um, GPU technology is also translatable to autonomous driving and also to gaming, which are two other enormous industries, um, one of which they have a very dominant position in and, and it's fairly, I wouldn't say mature, but it's slower growing and that's in the gaming right. business. Right, which is really started. I mean, they were making GPUs for PCs. You got it. So the gaming business up until just recently was more than half of revenue. Now the data center business is going to be um, you know, 70, 75% of revenue in the short term, just because it's growing so quickly. But the, uh, the auto business is still less than 5% of total revenues. And that has a long runway for growth as the company is not only involved in the training for companies that want to offer autonomous vehicles, um, autonomous driving vehicles, but also in the actual cars themselves. So that's a whole piece of something we can talk about. Okay. But going back for a moment to your question about who else is positioned to play mm -hmm. in the data center, you do have advanced micro devices as a real viable second source mm -hmm. with GPU technology, with CPU technologies, um, access to advanced manufacturing technologies. And that company um, has also sifted through and, and worked through a pretty severe downturn in the PC industry which I think is bottoming out at the same time. So that's an interesting company to look at. And then of course, the big hyperscaler companies that we all know um, are also offering incredible um, uh, homegrown technologies. They're, they're developing their own silicon internally. And of course, they offer the services that are so useful to their customers. Right, the, um, well, so so much I want to, okay, so many things I want to follow up on. So one, one I have to start with is, so um, when NVIDIA recently reported earnings, they provided guidance for the next quarter that was, I, 
some it sets some sort of record for like beating street expectations, like by billions of dollars, I think $4 billion above expectations, stunned the street, the stock, which was already up a lot this year, spiked again, like I forget how much that day, like 25%, 30%. It had a huge run. And now the sort of new question about NVIDIA is about valuation because um, you know, as the stock was like, you know, had this brief flirtation with like a trillion dollar market cap, it's still kind of in the neighborhood, um, but it's trading at like a pretty high multiple of sales, forward sales, based on current street estimates, I would note, uh, which weren't so good last quarter. Um, so, so it raises some questions about how you do you worry about that? I mean, it's unusual for a stock to trade that high, a tech stock to trade that high, certainly a chip stock to trade that high. Um, how do you feel about valuation there? So, you know, we at Jenison were surprised by the magnitude of the beat as well. As you Everyone. said, there's a $4 billion incremental contribution to the next quarter revenue, which is basically 50% above expectations. So that is an enormous jump. Even just the logistical challenge of trying to get that revenue serviced, that demand serviced with the supply chain is a Herculean task that I think NVIDIA will handle very, very well. But from, from a Jenison perspective, we really try to take a longer term view. And what we look at is in three years, four years, five years time, what can this company put up in terms of revenue? Mm -hmm. And let me offer, if useful, this one statistic that I think is incredible, which is that if you look at all of the data centers in the world, mm -hmm. and we all know that they're incredibly useful, mm -hmm. but less than 10% of them are using accelerated computing. And that is very important for NVIDIA because it shows that even though they've shown this explosive growth, ultimately we should be in a world where at least 80%, if not 100% of all tasks in data center are in some way or another accelerated. So I think we're still in very early days. And when we try to dimension the revenue growth and the earnings growth for the company against that backdrop, adding in their opportunity in gaming and also in autonomous driving, we still see a lot of earnings power ahead, many multiples of what the company is going to earn in 2024. Right. Okay. Um, so, so there are other chips in the data center beyond processors. Like everybody has been focused on CPUs uh, or GPUs, I should say, um, and replacing some CPUs and GPUs, by the way. Um, but but at the same time, um, there's there's sort of been an awareness more recently that there are other beneficiaries. Marvell stock had like a huge jump when they reported earnings and started talking about AI. Talk a little bit about other chip plays you might think about and how do you feel about chips more generally? So I think that it's very important to really tease out the winners and the losers in this industry, which I think there are going to be, is going to be much more pronounced in this next cycle. Mm -hmm. And specifically what I'm speaking of is within the data center, we talked about advanced micro devices being very well positioned. Another stealth um, AI play is Broadcom. Mm -hmm. Broadcom does a lot of custom products for the hyperscalers and they themselves are also seeing their AI revenues uh, double this year. Um, it used to be just, you know, in the teens as a percentage of revenue, but will quickly get up to probably 30, 35, 40% of revenue in 2024 mm -hmm. um, contribution from AI. 
And that, of course, is a very, very high margin business for Broadcom as well. Right. I also think it's worth looking at some of the memory companies because, of course, it's very memory intensive to um, execute all of these instructions. And as you pointed out before, um, generally memory companies are in the in the doldrums. They're talking about losses. They're talking about bloated inventories. They're talking right. about canceled orders. That's generally the time that it's a great time to look at the companies because they're at their worst and expectations are at their lowest. So I think we're seeing all the healthy signs within the memory industry with companies cutting CapEx, companies mm -hmm. under um, running under utilization, maybe even cutting back on the days that they're, they're filling up their plants and working down inventories in the distribution and also at the OEM channel. So I think that's a really interesting place to look as well. Do, do you think Micron is the, I mean, seems like the obvious play. I'm not sure who else you would, is even, I mean, Samsung, like there's only... So to your point, the other thing that's great about the memory business is it's consolidated. There are really only three major DRAM players in the world today and maybe around 10 or 11 because of some of the emerging NAND players, NAND memory players in China. So the industry really only has, you know, two or three major um, memory companies to invest in. Micron being a very well-run company, they certainly have some, we, we, I'm sure we'll talk about some of the tensions between the U.S. and China and some yeah. of the bands that are there. But uh, frankly, you know, the memory is fungible um, and, you know, it'll find its way whether it, the, if the China demand is put on hold, it won't take very long to reallocate that to a different region right. um, to soak that up. Okay, so a couple of related questions. Um, one is, um, it feels like the semiconductor equipment companies are in this kind of tricky moment where the near term doesn't look so great because some people have cut, including Micron, have slowed capacity additions because they were still dealing with excess capacity. Um, and meanwhile, we have in the works some of the largest chip, new chip fabs ever built in America. Intel in particular is building giant fabs in Ohio and Arizona and Micron is building a giant fab in New York. And, um, and that would seem like um, like a like a fantastic long term moment for the uh, semi equipment companies, as long as you can stomach like you might have a couple of near term quarters where you know the typical metrics don't look so great. So, are you I know you own a few of them. Give me give me a sense of how you think about that setup. I I I think of them in a similar way that I do to the memory companies, which is that it they do sound pretty bad right now. You know, orders have dried up. Um, sales are, are under pressure, but what I would say is that that's generally the best time to be buying them. Um, and the other thing that's so interesting for the semiconductor equipment companies is in my entire career, I've never seen more government support for local manufacturing. Right. And so the underlying industry is not only going to see utilization rates come back up as PCs come back and cell phones come back and data center continues to grow, and the correlating demand for uh, chips, but you will also see companies get the benefits of the US government, the European government, the Japanese government, Korean um, governments, and Chinese governments supporting local semiconductor manufacturing, whether it be with tax uh, benefits or even outright checks to build these facilities so that they're duplicate efforts around the world and we diversify the supply chain that is going to have a long runway for growth for the equipment companies. And at the same time, 
they have consolidated too. They're really only a handful of companies big enough to handle the scale of the semiconductor industry today. Um, it's all the names that you know, the applied materials, the LAM researches, um, the ASML lithographies. Those are all <laughs> the companies that are dominant in their, in, their, um, in their respective fields, whether it be of deposition, etch, or lithography. And they should benefit for many years to come from not only the recovery, but also the, the support from the governments. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think uh, if you take a long term view and say, will we need more chips in 10 years or less? Um, I think the good, you know, the money is on more. Um, we have bigger problems if it's less. So let me ask you a related question, which you alluded to, uh, which is if you think about the companies that can make the most advanced, uh, manufacture the most advanced uh, kinds of chips, um, the company that you know uh, clearly dominates this space, of course, is Taiwan Semiconductor. Um, fascinating company, super good at what they do, and happens to be at the center of a real geopolitical problem. Um, and and by the way, like if something did happen to to TSMC, we have lots of other problems because you know you're going to have like where is Nvidia going to make you know H100 chips um, if uh, there's they can't get the fabs run by um, TSMC or if those imagine that company is nationalized. There's all sorts of scenarios here. How much do you worry? I mean, I, I'm worried about TSMC, but also like the impact something would have of that of that nature if this terrible idea actually happened and there was an invasion? It's a great, it's a great question, Eric. And what I would say is that there's a, probably um, a teasing out between the stock and the main, and the company. So right. from a company perspective, I think that the likelihood that TSMC's business operations, its ability to continue to advance manufacturing will manufacturing lead will continue unabated. And that's because everyone's incentive is for that to happen. China has very ambitious goals to manufacture its own semiconductors um, and to produce its own semiconductors. And it cannot do that without TSMC, just as NVIDIA cannot. Right. Um, and so I think that uh, it really is, it's very, very unlikely for TSMC to have a political intervention in its manufacturing. I will say there is danger because Taiwan happens to be the epicenter of seismic activity. Yeah, and so um, from time to time, the company does have to deal with earthquakes, but um, that's probably a bigger risk than the political ones. Yeah. Having said that, from a stock perspective, if China were to take over Taiwan, you know, who knows what would happen with shareholder rights. But I think certainly from a technology development and um, ability to secure that foundry capacity, I think it will remain there and safe. Okay. So I want to ask you one more AI question, uh, which is, um, every, it feels like every company that I write about, uh, would mostly technology companies, a lot of them enterprise software companies, they are all announcing AI solutions of one kind or another, where it's, whether it's like Salesforce, Intuit made an announcement this morning. Um, ev everyone is doing this, right? So the question then becomes, are there application companies you would bet on because of the implication of AI on their businesses, right? So it's great that like, you know, that, that NVIDIA's got lots of demand, which is helping the, you know, the cloud um, providers. But at the end of the day, you have to run something, some software on that, um, that stack. And so, you know, there's beyond the consumer applications, which were the ones we already see, how do you think about how to play it from, a, from an application point of view? 
So I think you come up on, on a very interesting topic, which is who are who are going to be the next stars of the show? And I do think the software companies are going to be the next stars of the show because they can actually do something with this computing. <laughs> right. And I think some of the stars will be the ones that you probably already know, the Netflixes, the Amazons, um, you know, who can recommend and observe consumer patterns in a much faster and um, accurate way than we've ever seen before. But then there are also some smaller software companies that we're very interested in um, that help enterprises be more efficient um, in terms of organizing their workloads and also being able to do data analytics within the enterprise to figure out where there might be bottlenecks that that need to be solved. Um, there also are there's the ability to bring together different software suites and analyze them um, in a real-time manner even though they might not speak exactly the same language. So I think that I think you're absolutely right that software is a really good place to be looking right now because there is so much more ability to do something with the analytics. Do you have a couple of names you might want to share? I know you own Microsoft, which is maybe a larger discussion, but like how when you think about it from the application point of view, um, are there names you would particularly like? You know, I think um, the, the 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 likes of companies, um, you know, whether it be a Salesforce is, is a very, very interesting one. You know, maybe a smaller one like HubSpot is pretty interesting. I mean, there, there are a whole bunch of them out there that I think are are really um, fascinating. I think Amazon actually is going to to do a lot with with AI as well. Um, they have some really good silicon that they're developing internally for more you know dedicated silos of, of information right. analytics. Um, so, so yeah, there, there are quite a few, quite a few that we're looking at right now. So, um, let's, let's change gears for a moment. Um, yesterday, um, Apple did, it was kickoff time, keynote time for the developers, the annual developers conference. I was watching it on YouTube and at one point, uh Oh, I think we've lost Eric. Oh, there you are. Okay. We lost you for a second. Um, we, um, I was watching on YouTube and I noticed there were more than a million people watching the stream. Uh, which is pretty amazing. There aren't too many companies that could do a product launch and attract a million people. Um, maybe Tesla. Um, but, uh, and the reaction to what, well, you know, they announced a whole bunch of things, right? Lots of OS updates, um, some new MacBooks, uh, which are pretty attractively priced. I think like $12.99 for a 15 inch, which is a large, pretty large MacBook Air. But of course, the star of the show was Vision Pro, which is their first entry into the, um, uh, augmented reality headset market, which has been speculated about for a really long time. And it's finally here. And the market reaction was kind of like, eh. So I'm, I'm curious if you think what you thought of the, the launch and it, it does feel like there's sort of two camps. There's a camp that says, um, this is a misstep. Um, there's no market. They're, they're trying to, you know, the device is $34.99, which is like a huge price tag for a consumer device. It's not going to launch till early 24. Both of those things are different than what the street kind of consensus was. And then there's this notion on the other side that wait a few years, this is going to be monster. And so I'm curious what you're thinking is. I know you own a stake in Apple in the fund. Um, talk about what you saw and what you think about what happened. Sure. So I think, you know, First of all, yes, we have been long-term shareholders of Apple, and we have a lot of confidence in their ability to leverage their R&D to come out with very, very strong new 
Uh-oh. I think Erica's frozen there for a second. Erica, if you can hear us from their from their grip. Mm -hmm. Now, what I would say is that the most important thing right now on the on the virtual reality side is that we're not quite there on the computing side. We're not quite there in terms of the ability to generate all of the 3D images real time and the price point is not there. I think those are really the two critical factors that are still holding the industry back from wider spread adoption. I think we need to have the technology advance maybe two or three more generations, and we still need the price point to come back below that magical $1,500 price point where you get much wider spread consumer adoption. So I think that the place to look um, in the short term is actually the enterprise that can afford uh, for, um, for example, military training or even things like surgeons who are trying to learn how to um, perform surgeries and there, for example, a shortage of cadavers in the world. It's kind of an interesting thing, but those virtual reality headsets are very helpful in training for some enterprise applications that I think will initially be the early adopters. And once we see a little bit broader adoption on the enterprise side of those of that technology, I think then we can see um, the consumer market get the benefits of understanding how the enterprise worked, what worked, what didn't get the second, third generations of that, and then have it hit the consumer markets in a much broader manner. Right. I, I would. It feels to me like one of the one of the takeaways you could have of you know the stock really not reacting very much. Although apparently, by the way, if you look back over ten years, the stock never moves on the first day of WWDC, or almost never. But anyway. Um, uh, it kind of feels like maybe it was just priced in. Like, like the stock has had a big run. The stock touched a new um, all-time high. Is getting inching up towards three trillion dollars. Maybe that's already in the stock. I mean, um, on the other hand, how far out do you think it'll be before, you know, if, if you think about materiality for a company that has four hundred billion dollars in revenue, uh, more or less, or um, it is you have to have like. $20 billion to be, you know, do a 5% ad uh, and doing my complicated math there, right? So um, can this be a $20 billion product for Apple in the next, I don't know, three years, four years? So, you know, I think some areas to think about in terms of new markets that Apple could enter into over time mm -hmm. would be in things like home health care which still really needs to be disrupted on a longer term basis to deal with an aging population and skyrocketing healthcare costs. I think Apple is looking at that um, market very closely and I would expect to see over time some pretty interesting innovations there. And I do think that in the area of, of VR, I do think that it might take a year or two, but that's an enormously large TAM that I think that ultimately they can make a big dent in. Okay. Um, so I want to come back to one other thing. We're getting low on time here, but I, I do want to come back to um, uh, the cloud. And so like before last September 30th, when, you know, OpenAI announced ChatGPT, I would, I think you could argue that the biggest tech trend um, that hadn't yet re kind of surfaced above the waterline was the cloud. And like, even if you, so even if you look at the results uh, from last quarter for AWS and for, Azure um, in particular, um, while they had contracted in terms of growth rates, they were still putting up like huge growth rates relative to almost anything else, right? Double digits, 20, 30% reach. 
So what I'm kind of wondering is, and by the way, as you sort of uh, talked about before, like they are, they would seem to be obvious winners, um, uh, whether it's Amazon or, you know, Microsoft getting another like, you know, point in its favor or, um, or Alphabet or maybe even Oracle. Um, and so I wonder how you think about the cloud opportunity here. I know Snowflake is a name that you've owned, which is interesting, kind of a related play uh, that's been quite controversial. Um, how do you think about playing the cloud here? So I think that we're still, um, you know, we're, we're a little further along in the innings analogy with um, <laughs> adoption of the cloud, but right. we're still, you know, maybe halfway through the the baseball game, if you will. <laughs> and so I think there still is a lot of, of growth. And then if you look at the R&D budgets for the big players, they're so much bigger than any of the um, the challengers that I think it's going to be very hard not to see further consolidation um, of share gains within the bigger bigger players because of the might um, and the R&D breadth that those companies bring to the table. So I do think that the large scale, the companies you mentioned will continue to do very, very well and show solid double digit growth rates without any profitability hits for some time, I think they will maintain their pricing power, which is a very important concept. I think, you know, one of the things we've talked about at Jenison is, well, you know, who are really the next generation of, of companies that are enabling? Right. And I think that um, most likely within the data center, you know, some of those companies that we talked about that are, you know, perhaps smaller software companies that whether they're involved in security, or risk analysis, mm -hmm. those companies are the ones I think are really quite interesting to look at, particularly now that expectations have come down, revenues have come mm -hmm. down, um, you know, we're bumping up against the quarters within the third quarter and the fourth quarter when a lot of the comparisons will start to get much, much easier. Right. Um, we've also been able to see how the company's balance sheets have weathered through these difficult times, many of which look very solid so I think that's an interesting place to look, um, particularly, you know, if you take a three to five year outlook from where we are at this point today and, and how as the dust has settles, we've gotten through this, as you say, period with higher interest rates, expectations coming down in terms of technologies, and then the advent of real useful AI technologies. Right. Um, it's, a, I think, a really interesting time that we at Jenison think to look at, at these companies. Do you have a favorite name or two at this point? I beg your pardon? Do you have a favorite name or two? Um, I think, you know, it's so hard to pick one or two. Mm -hmm. um, you could probably look at our holdings at Jenison and, and you'll you'll see the, the they're all in there now. Right. Um, so you could probably have a peek and 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 take your pick. Okay. So I want to take uh, one last thing I want to touch on, which is related to what you were just saying. Um, one of the things that people have been talking about with AI is um, risks of like misinformation or like, data leakage or like, you know, some of it is a, is a little, I think it will go away, like in terms of like bad, uh, like false answers to things. But a lot of it kind of falls into the security zone. And it feels like this should be like a good moment. Um, kind of an opportunity set has kind of opened up in a sense for the companies you're describing, right? Security companies and data analytics companies, um, observability, those kinds of things. Um, are you excited about the opportunity for that whole sort of sphere of, you know, companies making sure bad things don't happen, if you want to summarize it that way? Yes. 
Yes, I am. I mean, one of the things we've talked about at Jenison is that, you know, if you look back at the, when the, when people started to use the web more frequently, whether it be for, you know, homework for children um, or just general data searches or making bookings, people were worried about the security of information, um, not only of one's information, even doing financial transactions on the web, but also disinformation and bad people um, using the internet to proliferate their views um, that whether they were based on false information or not. Unfortunately, there are bad people doing bad things <laughs> everywhere and they will find their spot. So um, I think that AI has that risk just like the internet did and we're just gonna have to deal with it. But your point is the really interesting one, which is that because this parallel processing that we talked about before, and I can't, you know, at Genesis, one of our most, I guess our, our highest conviction um, thesis that this parallel computing is going to disrupt so many industries. As you say, the ability to use parallel processing to identify data theft um, and also the security of financial transactions is so much more sophisticated now. So those companies that are offering that software to use AI to identify um, unusual behaviors, criminal behaviors, um, th that is becoming much more sophisticated and it's an area that we're very focused on at Jenison. Great. Yeah, it's interesting. I think um, <laughs> some, I, I, I even talked um, uh, recently to the CEO of IBM who I wrote about their sort of AI story, which um, uh, people can read, but um, one of the things he's, he's super excited about the opportunity, but said, definitely there's going to be an up, you know, step up in misinformation and, um, and there's going to be aside from well, just hacking potential. Um, and they're going to need to be people to, and companies to address the problem. And I think it's a great opportunity too. So I, I am uh, uh, so thankful that you joined us today, Erica, we're way over time here, which, um, Lots to talk about, and we can keep going, but we'll get in trouble. Um, so thank you so much. Thank you to uh, everyone uh, for uh, for joining us today for the call. Um, please join us tomorrow. Uh, Market Watch will have um, real estate reporter uh, Arthi uh, Swaminathan um, um, and a real estate agent um, and investor named Roshana Scott will have a discussion on how to invest in real estate, the best way to get started, the best strategy for that. Thank you all for joining us. We'll be back. Please keep, uh, keep coming. Uh, thanks very much. The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com.